Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 92 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. Today's episode is brought to us by PWCC. PWCC has an incredible number of amazing basketball cards up this week, including the premier auction. The weekly auction, though, has some amazing stuff, too. I was looking at it this morning. There's actually a dual LeBron slash MJ rookie auto. Not MJ's rookie year, obviously, but LeBron's rookie year is in the weekly auction. A whole bunch of other awesome stuff um, and I'm excited for. But the premiere that ends in a week and a half, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, is crazy. There's some amazing Kobe stuff. So I'm hyped about that. I'm also hyped about today's episode. Today I have on the one and only... David, Dave, signed and slabbed. Dave, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I was, uh, for those that can see it, I was showing off my recent uh, PWCC wins to to Adam. So, yes, I bid there. Um, I'm going to be the only one who's going to see those just because this is just Okay, well, I, we're, they were basketball cards. They were, it was 19. Uh, I mean, you, when you're on with the basketball card guy, you got to show him, you know, what's what's happening. So an 81 Magic Johnson autographed and then an 86 Fleer, Dominique Wilkins. So I'm all about the Hall of Famers. Dave, you're one of my favorite people in the hobby for a lot of different reasons, but not the least of which is you've been around for a really long time, like me. Long, long time. Three three decades in the hobby? Is that fair? Uh yeah, easy. Four or three? Close to four. Close to four. Okay. You got me by just a few years. Um, but between the two of us, we've got well over 70 years in the hobby. And um, so I wanted to bring you on because um, frankly, just because I think you're an interesting, awesome guy to have on the show, but also because um, I had this quote that I put out on my Instagram. It's a quote everybody's heard. And I like I put a I put a note at the top of my on the top of the post that something like this is a really good general quote that I think people should think about more often. And the quote is the one from Warren Buffett where he says, um, "Be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy." I might have mixed those two up in the wrong order, but either way, it's the same point. And so I posted this and I had, I don't even know how many people message me and say, how does that apply to the hobby today, Adam? Or like, this is how I think it applies. And they would say all these different things. And so, you know, I really just wanted to like sort of ask you here at the outset, like when you think about what fear is in the hobby and how it applies in that quote, like what do you think fear is? And then does fear influence you in the way that you behave today? Yeah. So I, in terms of how fear kind of manifests itself or, or impacts the hobby, you know, you, you and anybody else that, that has followed me for very long knows that I, I am one of the people who has, has felt very strongly that the, the dollar value focus that has been in the hobby really since the you know sl even bef slightly pre-covid has been i believe it's been really detrimental to kind of the overall thought process of collectors there i, I think that you know we and, and the the additional investment obviously by a lot of different companies certainly fanatics and others 
um, that that focus on the investment side of what happens in the hobby is also maybe disjointed the the way that new participants or even some of the old collectors kind of view things. And so that that focus on the dollar value and the investment side, which is really, I mean, Adam, it's been pumped at a thousand miles an hour into our faces at all times. And, and realistically, even as even over the past 18 months, as we've seen a, a significant decline in the value of some of these cards, you know, with many landing certainly above where they were uh, pre-pandemic, but still um, that focus on the investment side, I think is what's created more fear for people than anything else, because they've been kind of conditioned to view their collection as a portfolio of assets that need to either maintain a certain dollar value or or increase from that versus being you know a portfolio of items that you have some sort of attachment to or or an emotional um you know an emotional attachment that that can come from either well, can come from a lot of different places, right? Um, I think for a lot of people, it's the nostalgia of having collected as a kid. Um, I think for other people, it's the it's the ability to find a a tangible connection to a player or a team that they enjoy. Um, or, or you know, I even think like in a case like yours, you know, your your just love of of kind of basketball more holistically leads you. Um, down a collecting path that may not be always team or player focused, um, and so for in in my opinion that 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 dollar value is really what is really the fear that I think some people feel from time to time. Love it. So I had a, let me tell you a quick story. I had a, a friend reach out and say. I don't think fear is has really impacted people so far because, and then he immediately jumped into sort of this like talk around where the market is today and where it was, where it was before, you know, 2020. And to me, like people want, people want to like put numbers and analytics around everything. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not, I'm not against analytics. I'm a CPA and like finance guy. Of course I'm not yeah. against them. But, but I feel like the hobby has become the, I feel like so many people in the hobby have, have treated this like it's very much like a, a total investment focus and super graphy, like yeah. so graphy for so long. And, and that's what it is to them. And, and that's, I think that that's okay. That that's, that that's what it is to them because I do think the cards are investments, whether they go up or down, like the cards, people invest in cards. There's no question about that. Absolutely. But, to, but to me, it's like, like, I, you know, he was like, well, he's the, 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 this, this friend of mine, he was like, no, I don't think fear is really running this thing because look, this stuff is still so much more expensive than it was pre-pandemic. And I'm, and, and what I, what I thought to that, and this is sort of what I wanted a little bit of what I wanted to talk about is like, as I listen to people right now, I feel like, I feel that people are afraid. Yep. And I mean, I, and I can see that that's how, that that influences how they behave. There was a really big card up um, last week that I really wanted. 
And for just a second, I allowed to enter my mind sort of this like, well, what if this happens in the world? Mm -hmm. And that what if on the negative side, um, that's a good question to ask. But also some of that's really motivated by like me being afraid for a second. And I went, whoa, wait a second. Ironically, Dave, the best thing that I've ever done is bought during um, times where people have been really afraid. And that's really the beginning of COVID when everybody was afraid that the whole market was going to fall apart. Yeah. Some of the best deals in the world came right then. Um, and then later it was like, Oh, Hey, you know, then, then a lot of that stuff really increased in value. But I just wanted to point out, like, I think that fear is something that you can't, you don't just see in numbers. Fear is something that you can feel when you interact with members of the hobby. Yeah. I think a lot of people are motivated right now by fear. What do you think of that? I mean, I definitely think that that's true. Um, I also think that there's, but, it, and, it, and it works both ways, right, Adam? I mean, j having just been at the Dallas Card Show, um, and it's something I've, I was going to talk more about, like, later this week, like, there, there is sort of a general sentiment that, or I think there's a general sentiment that, you know, prices still have lower to go. But there's also... <laughs> There, all, there also is that never-ending sort of optimism of like, what if we're at the low, right? What if I sell now? And, and so that's why I say it could work both ways. I think there are some people that are sort of afraid that, you know, if I do go and, and kind of sell some of the wrong stuff right now, I may, not, I may not end up being able to get a chance to get it back. And so, you know, that concept, I think kind of, leads well into my response to your second question of whether fear influences me. And, you know, when, as a younger collector, I would say that it did because there, you know, that the dollar value, I had always kind of treated my cards. I try to, I try to buy them like they're and treat them like their investments on the front end. But then on the back end, I'm trying to co cultivate them or, or curate them into a collection that I really enjoy. Yeah. And there's a process to that and or at least a process that i've developed that works for me and you know what i discovered was that if i do it kind of properly then you know my cost basis a lot of times and the things that i can that you know make it to the end of that curation process end up maybe not costing me anything because of the lens that i was sort of viewing each item through as it's kind of entering my collection. Now, you know, for someone like me, as as time has passed and I've, you know, bought <laughs> more than I could almost store, um, some of that maybe not as relevant. Um, I, I'm still, and I still use that same, you know, uh, process of thought now, but I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, more loose sometimes in spending for certain things because there is a spot in the curation that I want to fill and I will, you know, sometimes overspend what my normal thought process would have told me to, to kind of fill that hole. Um, but w listening to you talk, it was, you know, I don't know if you saw this. I, cause I, I posted this like less than a week ago and it's in a little bit of an online spat um, <laughs> with somebody that was, you know, giving maybe a differing opinion than what I had. But you were talking about analytics and charts and things like that. I posted this onto my Instagram story less than a week ago. 
one of the main reasons I collect is to actually share my collection, to tell stories and evoke emotions from a broader range of people besides those I spend time with in the hobby. People who don't care at all what my items are worth or how many are in a pop report. And the question I posed was, tell me what that's worth. Show me that chart. So for me, that is, that is at the core of everything I do um, as, as a collector within the hobby. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm a, I'm a collector, I'm an investor, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a participant, I'm a, I'm a dealer, I'm trying to see if this is something I can do, like as a, as a job and make money, but also still maintain a collector focus. Um, but that at the end of the day, for me, that sharing of what it is I've put together with other people to, to, that's how I try to, to, you know, encourage people ultimately that show interest in this stuff um, to work through those things to figure out what it is that they like. Because I know for me, now that I have a good sense of how those things fit with what it is I'm trying to do, I can, I can broadly eliminate most of the fear. Um, you know, my, my, if I have fear, it's more centered around the items that are really at the edge or are things where I had made almost an intentional sort of investment decision that, that wasn't really working. And it's, you know, how do I, my, so, you know, dollar values do affect that. How do I, how can I continue to maintain proper levels of liquidity so that I can still like, you know, live my life, but also have some collecting going on on the side. And, and as you know, that's why I collect such a wide range of stuff. I have, I do have five figure, you know, types of cards. Um, I also have mail days that show off, you know, $8 and $3 Mookie bets <laughs> multiple times a week. And so, you know, that, that range uh, of types of cards sort of allows me to stay involved and allows me to still really enjoy the hobby even if the broader sorts of charts and graphs are indicative that maybe the, the market is, is moving from a investment or dollar value standpoint the wrong way um, than, than what I might like it to. But, I, you know, as a collector too, and you just mentioned it, like if, if there are cards that you felt like you had missed, you know, the declining prices sometimes and, and lack of liquidity in auctions sometimes presents an opportunity to get something that you'd been priced out of, you know, for the past 12 months and now it's back. And so this is my, this is my biggest point is that like some, some people are, are motivated that like when, when things are really going well in the hobby, some people have like a natural instinct to get, to buy more. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's normal. I don't, I don't know how, what percentage of us do. I, I don't have that. I know I don't. I, like, maybe it's that I've just done too much, like, buying, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know if I do either. either. I'm, I'm buying all the time. Like, so I bought, I bought way more in the last year, like way more in the last year than I did in the year before. Way yeah. more. 
And so, you know, 2020, 2021, it was like very much like this feeling out stage. 2022, you know, I didn't hardly buy anything. Like 2023 has been buying season for me. And stuff is obviously like the market itself is still gone down. It's just so great that I've been like buying stuff that I love. But anyway, the, the thing that is clear to me, I, I don't want to make this about me. The thing that's clear to me is that some of us have like a natural instinct that when things have lost a lot of value, we realize, okay, that's the time to buy. And then other people have like the opposite. And, and what I feel from the hobby right now, from like hobby you know, content and from people posting is I feel like people are afraid. And to me, that moment is like, like recognizing that there is fear to me that that sounds like buying opportunity to me. Am I crazy? Is that the wrong way to think about it? Do you, or, or maybe the best way to think to ask this question, David, is like, if some huge card right now that you've wanted forever, you know, became available, but the market's done what it's done and you saw it and it was going to be like financially like a stretch for you. Like, Oh man, this is rough. Would you look at what would you let that, how would that fear? Like, how would you do that? What would you do? Like in your mind, sort of like figure out what your, your best move is. Like how, what was yeah, that? I, you know, I guess I think the way that I kind of think about it is when, when I feel like the market is, either more stable or maybe on an incline. Um, I'm not as concerned about timing because mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, when, when I'm seeing and feeling those sorts of positive vibes and I'm getting, I'm getting at least feedback from either similar types of cards or just, or just auction types of prices in general. Right. Where, where I, I just see, um, you know, increases in prices or, or at least, you know, very steady, sturdy sort of bidding demand. I, I'm not as so much concerned about timing and I, I, I can probably, I'm, I'm a little bit more willing to extend um, into what I'll call investment during that period for a card like that. In a period where like, I really kind of feel like we are now, where I don't believe that the bidding is as robust, the pricing is indicative that you know there's there maybe are not as many participants, or you know the participants are less willing to kind of stretch. I probably view it more of a reinvestment type of lens. So the timing has to be a little bit closer. You know, so I, so I would be less like a perfect example. Adam is a 1914 Christy Mathewson. Like that's a card I want. And that is a big boy. That is a big boy card in the vintage collecting world. There's not a lot of them. They're all expensive. And, you know, I've tried to buy them before and never could. Mm -hmm. uh, if that card were to sort of suffer a decline or be available in an auction, you know, I, I would have to think through a lot harder what I have in my collection that I could, you know, essentially be willing to take the risk of auctioning off as well um, to cover a card like that. And so th that timing for me would have to be a lot more critical than it would have been you know, during an up cycle. We, 
we need to go to break, but before before we go, I just want to say one last thing. One last thing. Love love your comments. Um, I think that a lot of it depends on what we're buying. So we yeah. talk about these things in really broad statements. We talk about like the market, or we talk about buying. I think that there's different types of purchases, and I love that you bring up the Matthewson because it's like it's this Grail super rare thing. Like that's a perfect sort of example when you're when the when the market feels like it's generally just increasing like crazy like we saw a few years ago that felt like a time where no matter what you did you were probably going to be a winner and that's great <laughs> those, those times are wonderful it's not typical though that's not where we no, where it's, not are. it's not typical it's not where we usually where we usually sort of find ourselves um but but in this sort of fear in this sort of like fear setting where people are scared of making moves sometimes cards come to market that are those that you know the card that didn't come to the market yeah. when things were going really well and so sometimes and i'm confident in saying this because it has been for me in the past sometimes the moments of fear are the greatest opportunities you still and i need to say this loud and clear you still need to be super responsible something i know you and i have talked about a lot like people need to make good decisions they need to be responsible they need to not overextend i talk to people about this all the time yeah. because there's, there's a lot of risk and I've seen a lot of people go really sideways and like really like ruin their lives financially yeah. um, by not being smart in our hobby. Um, and so I, I want to advocate for that for sure. But, but at the same time, if you are somebody who is, is um, who understands the market in air quotes and who has the financial wherewithal, sometimes the moments of fear are the best moments to sort of open your eyes and, and to sort of say, okay, which of these things are things that I'm going to want in the long term or the market is going to want in the long term? And, um, and you know, how do I you – know, can, I, can I take advantage of the moment here? But we're going to take a break and come back with another segment in just a second. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its Liquid Auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on Alt XYZ today. All right, we're back. Um, just the other day, I saw our friend Jeremy Lee, Sports Cards Live, post something that I've never heard of before. <laughs> and um, I wanted to sort of get your take on it. So a lot of people, there's been a lot of like doomsday talk. Right? Like a lot of negativity. No, I don't want to say negative, negativity. People are saying what they think, right? And I don't think people are intentionally negative, but there are people who are like, what happens when this all goes to zero? And, and those those types of things. And that's where the fear conversations are. Yeah. Um, and then there's people talking about pumping and dumping and, and people talking about how stuff is so manipulated and it's not really worth this. You hear all this stuff and it creates this fear, right? This like, like we have this like, exuberance that was like unnatural a few years ago where everybody was just so optimistic about everything. And now we have this fear. We have this exact opposite, I think right yeah. now we've had it for, for a while. And so, you know, you see all this stuff about pumping and dumping. And then what our friend Jeremy posted was something <laughs> that I'd never heard of called the poop and scoop, which is the opposite of pumping and dumping where <laughs> your goal is to, to like, harm the value of something mm -hmm. so that you can then slide that slide in acquire everything that you possibly can and then wait for the future wait for a better day where it's like hey this thing is actually really interesting and so i just want to like what are your overall thoughts on like what you see in the hobby with pumping and dumping what does that look like 
in 2023, how are people doing doing that? And then do you think the pooping 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 scoop is a, a thing? Any thoughts on any of that stuff? Yeah. So uh, you know, on the question of does the hobby unintentionally pump itself up, I think that it, that my answer to that depends on where you are. I think if you are operating in social media, the answer is that it's not unintentional. It's highly intentional. And I, you know, my DMS have been full of for the last two days based on some things that I had posted, um, you know, around this idea. And I keep reminding everyone Instagram specifically is a highlight reel. It's not a real story. No one is, no one, including me, is jumping on there and telling you the tales of woe of the Mookie bets that I bought, you know, two months ago in, or, you know, in the, in early August as he's setting the world on fire and then he gets like, doesn't even get a hit in the postseason. Yeah. And right. Like I know I'm not telling those stories. Um, you know, the, what I, you know, the bunch that I call the, some of the guys that I call like the flip crew, they're not telling you about all of their modern prospect cards that went in half after a couple of their guys either got hurt or lost games. Um, or, you know, a, a perfect example would be like investing in Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets and then three minutes into the season, like that's just a puff of, of smoke. Like, right. you know, the Instagram world is very much um, just a highlight reel. But I, I think when you're on the ground at like the card shows or other local gatherings and things like that, you know, I think what you see is still very, very strong interest in the hobby. Some of it may still be a little misplaced, but there's absolutely interest there. And there are, you know, there are other there are other communities within the online world, whether it's chat groups or, or other places where I, I, I do think that that interest is still high and people are there. There are people that are trying to learn more and, and, and be, be more educated and be more thoughtful. And so, you know, that, that piece of it, that intentionality, right. Of trying to incorporate different or, or new people into the space, I, I think is really positive and, and, you know, there, I, we've got some examples, other examples of that out there. Um, I, like one example of it I'll give you is um, I'm going to go to Culture Collision this year for the first time. Um, you know, I've known, I've known Roth Prism God for the last two, three years, hadn't been able to make the show before it was going to work out this time. So I'm going to go, I'm going to do what I can to promote that. I think he's got some cool stuff that he's wanting to incorporate. And so, you know, that part, I don't see that as a, I see that as a pump up. That's good. Like let's, let's get attendance up so that the, because the hobby does absolutely have an awareness problem still. And, and there are differing views on kind of how to solve for that. Do you, are you going to go play basketball? At the, at the I, I'm absolutely not playing basketball. Um, <laughs> I am, I am not going to go snap an Achilles as an overweight, you know, middle-aged man. Um, <laughs> I am, I am even unlikely. I am, I am not just unlikely. I will absolutely not 
be watching any of that spectacle. Um, I, I reserve my, you know, my old eyes for athletic performances that are incredible, not what I might term potentially incredibly bad. People don't know that you're a pretty tall guy. I think that's six feet tall. Is that about right? Uh, yeah. I, I'm getting shorter every year. <laughs> yes, I'm right around six feet tall. I got I got the invite, and it made me honestly. You're gonna just laugh. It made me go. Maybe I should go. Maybe I should go play basketball. I'm not like a great basketball player, but I am six foot four, and I can yes. I can dribble, and I can kind of shoot the ball. So I, my advice to anyone who's going to participate: please stretch. make sure that your health insurance premiums are <laughs> up to date and paid, um, and you know, and make sure that, you know, you know exactly what you're doing and what your physical limitations are. But someone like broke their ankle last year, didn't they? Um, I was, yeah, I think the pull wax guy broke his ankle in like the first game. I don't know. I, yeah, that would probably be me. So that's probably why I shouldn't go. Yeah. I did play basketball this morning, literally. We got a good hour in. Um, I've been playing with my son and some guys over at, uh, over at the church building. Yeah. If there was um, like a three point competition, I mean, I might be good for the first round. I would, then... I would love that. Honestly, I would love that. Okay, let's get back to the pump and dump thing real quick. So do you feel like you see people actively pumping and dumping at this point? Yes, absolutely. What does that look like in 2023? What does that look like? So, I, you know, I, I only know how, kind of how to talk about it from sort of my finance and accounting sort of background. But, you know, when I, I for me, it feels pretty easy to spot when you see people that, you know, are sort of consistently on a theme of like a player or, or a particular type of collectible or a set or something like that. And they, they're like they're talking about it all the time and how great it is. And then not surprisingly, all of a sudden they've got that same stuff up for some in you know, available in a PWCC or alt auction or a Probstein or, or golden or whatever. Yeah, like, and, 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 you know, listen, there's, and, and there's a subtlety to, um, I, I don't, I don't want to give off the idea that I, I think it's not okay to promote things that you're selling. Right. We, I do, I do think we've kind of got to get away from maybe a negative stigma associated with that and and like i'm trying to participate that in a little bit more as you've seen i'm i'm posting pictures of the things that i've sold and you know even this weekend in dallas i sold a pretty solid a pretty pretty big mookie card and i felt compelled right after i'd posted that to tell people what was going on and and as i described in episode one that for me mookie is sort of a reinvestment principle now versus an investment principle. I've done my investing. Now I'm ready to do my reinvesting. And so let me know, jump in. Let me jump, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. I think what you're, I think part of what you're saying is like there's this transparency that's super, super important. And so when you have somebody who's like, it's it's slippery, it's a slippery um topic because everybody sort of has their own rules about it. I'll tell you what my rules are, my sort of internal rules around these things, and you can tell me what you think. So I love the idea that you can buy something and you can talk about it. You can say, hey, here's something that I bought and here's why I bought it and here's why it's cool. I always do that. I'm like you. I like I got this cool thing. I want to talk about the thing. Yeah. Why, why it's cool. And then I also want to let people know when I'm selling it because for the people who know me, like, oh, I, 
I do that. I'm have that. I might want. I want. Might want to go out and buy it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The issue that I have is when people are talking so highly about buying and about how this the stuff is increasing in value as they're selling. Yeah. We're very close to when they're selling. If it's like I'm buying this, I need to get it, and so they try to create this appearance like. This thing is the hottest thing ever, and like simultaneously or close to simultaneously, they're selling it. To me, somebody who's been accused before of pumping stuff, right? Because I love I love talking about cards. It's literally my job at this point, by the way, is to talk about cards, right? Like I talk about cards for a living. So um, like to me, you've gotta not have like this simultaneously. This is the best thing ever. You need to buy this, like in and and it's gonna go up forever as you're selling it because it feels right. super disingenuous. I, I don't I don't personally feel great about that, but I think people have different feelings. And the way that I feel about it may not be the way that you or other people feel about it. So yeah. um the line between being passionate and then later selling, the line between that and like actively doing something that you know pump pumping pumping and dumping comes from doing the same thing in like the public security. Where it's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm telling you more, you know, more of the listeners right now than you, because I know you know this, but like, it's, it's, I'm, I acquire a whole bunch of stuff. Now I'm going to go talk about it a whole bunch to everybody who will listen in every sort of way and highlight like why it's going to get to that, to that point and then jumping in and selling it. And to me, that whole exercise, it has to do with intention. It has to do with like where your heart is, like what you're actually trying to do what your goal of the talking about it is. And that's super different than somebody who's passionate about something and then selling it later on. Agree? Yeah. Agree? I, you know, I, I, one of the things I guess I'd add to that is, and this is a challenge that to me sort of, it help, it helps me make at least my assessment of the, of what I believe somebody's intention may be is if you're if you're going to talk about it with that passion and and you can't you can't clearly sort of communicate why you like it why it's neat what's cool about it without putting a dollar value on it if you can't do that then to me the red flags immediately go up right and and that you know fairly or unfairly adam that's that is my measure of it if, if, if in that, hey, this is great and I'm buying it and it's awesome. And it, if, it, if it's just because, you know, yeah, I think this per, I think that this player is going to do well and their cards are going to go to the moon like this. That's just a that's trying to create awareness sp- explicitly for for a financial gain for you. It's not based on anything that anyone could measure otherwise. And it's definitely not about. Kind of the the qualities of the cards or collectibles that it is your that that you're talking about. Let me you, let me interject for quick. Like, let me interject for quick. So, I, like, there's different reasons people want to own cards. Part of it is they want to speculate. They want they want a physical. They want a tangible thing that they can then speculate on how well that player is going to do. Victor Wembanyama is the best example. Of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People believe like this guy has a chance to be like all-time, all-time, all-time great. They don't want to speculate. Or they might do it on a set. They might do it on a on a, anything. Like, there's so many different sort of variables that people can do this on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Is it how I collect at this point? It's not. It's not what I do. But 
I think what you're saying is like when you're doing that and the whole point is to like then go out and deliberately increase how people think about that thing without having the love for it, then you're definitely in pump and dump land. But then my question would be, can you pump and dump something that you do love? Like, is that, is that a thing? Can you? And again, that's why I think that the, the ability to communicate a value or a quality to your underlying collectible that isn't, you know, where price isn't the first thing you talk about is, is incredibly important. And, and, you know, you like, for instance, you and I, you and I don't necessarily always think of like serial numbering the same way, Mm -hmm. right? I'm very much a, you know, you could, I could stamp one of one on anything I want and I can make it rare. doesn't make it valuable, right? Or that, that alone shouldn't make it valuable. And, and there are one of one stamp cards that look completely terrible, but they got a one-on-one stamp and people go crazy for them. Um, or, you know, that you put a patch in there and stamp it and it's like not even game used or it might not even be a lot of times not even the same colors of the team that the player is pictured on on the actual card. It was like a previous team. This happens all the time. Um, you know, so the, those sorts of I think the ability to, to coherently communicate some of those qualities that aren't just linked to value is, is critical. And if you can do that. I think that that then that lends itself to a better transparency of what it was that attracted you to it, even if those qualities were, were things that you felt then had a tie-in to to a, a value um, proposition. Is that, so, does that make sense? Totally. So okay, but again, I think I think intention really matters because so like take somebody like take take you right. You've got a significant following both on YouTube and on Instagram. When you talk, lots of people hear you. You talk in a, in a, you know, in a card show and you, you could talk to any number of people, right? You have influence. So does everybody in this yeah. Like some people have more than others, but you have, you have tremendous influence. So if you buy something with the intent to then talk about it in a way that influences how people think, is that okay? Yeah, and I like, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure I do that exactly. I'm not sure. I don't think you do. I'm you just saying. I mean? Like I, I, my usually my to the if I'm doing something that's that is sort of more monetary, I, I will tend to talk more about you know either sometimes comps, but you know more frequently. Um, similar types of items and or like in the autograph space obviously i do this a lot and and you know when that happens i'm usually telling people about um you know like yeah i bought this i bought an 86 fleer dominique wilkins rookie slabbed and signed and slabbed and it cost me 50 bucks and the reality is the card would cost me 20 Dominique cost me 75 or or 65 to get it signed. I got a $25 fee at PSA to slab the thing. And I got to wait four months to do all that. So if you give me that chance to buy it at 50 versus an actual cost of replacement at a hundred plus some period of time, like, yeah, I'm going to buy it at 50 and I'm going to sell it at 80. I'm going to make my 30 bucks and I'm going to go buy another Mookie. So let's let's talk about this Dominique real quick because this is a great example. You 
could buy that card for 50, go put it out at the show. Somebody walks by and you look at it and you just say, listen, this is what it's going to cost you to replicate this thing. Yes. And then you tell them that story. I am going to just go on the record and say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think when you looked at it, if you said, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to talk about it and this is how I'm going to sell it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think there's something different between that and literally trying to change value. For sure, for sure. And, and so that's where the intention matters to yeah. me. And so when you listen to people talk about cards, the question is, what is their, you know, what is their intention? Is there, are they buying that thing and then talking about it? My, like, like, let's go back to my job real quick. Literally my job is to talk about items for auction houses and for other places, right? Like yeah. that's, that's what I do. So what, but, but what I've had, to, what I've really struggled with Dave is I've, is I've said, okay, what is appropriate here? And what I sort of landed on is if I can just tell facts, I can say, these are things yeah. that you need to know about this card. And I can tell it in a way that people then look at it afterwards and go, you know what? That's actually really cool. I think I, I think I like that. Yeah. Thing. Maybe there's something there that I don't know about it or there again, I, I think that, cause I think that ties in really well to what I said though, mm -hmm. Adam is like, when you present the facts of something, um, even if like yes, in my autograph example, there are dollar values that are part of that fact pattern, but you're not starting this out and saying, you, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of leaving it to people to make their own decision of what the value should be versus, versus leading with the value proposition. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So it's, and that's, you can feel that in conversation. Yeah. Yes. I, I agree with a hundred percent agree with you on that. And, and so back to my red flag world, right? If the, if the initial, if the, if item one on the characteristic list is some dollar value, I, I my red flags immediately go up and I, and I'm immediately kind of on guard about, you know, what is this? This is simply a, you know, I got to get out of this thing be, or I'm ready to get out of it. And how do I get, how do I get the most for it versus really being able to tell the story of why it's valuable, what, what, what characteristics make it something different than some, uh, than some competing card of, of a similar player or, or a set or whatever the case may be. I would, I would totally agree with that. I would also just say, I would have to go another la la layer, whether it's first or second or third or fourth, I don't really want anyone to tell me what something's worth. I yeah. want to take the buyer. I <laughs> wanted to tell you what I think it's worth. Yeah. And that's why I love, honestly, Dave, that's why I love open auctions. Like I yeah. love auctions, especially from places where you Oh, believe me, I love open auctions too. I is nothing I I enjoy bidding in more than open auctions. And there's nothing that I like doing less than putting my own cards out. Mm -hmm. On open option. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get that. I totally get that. All right, great conversation. Let's, uh, let's go. Well, can we finish real quick? You had asked about poop and scoop. Oh yes, that's right. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. Poop and scoop. Um, I, I am of the opinion that despite whatever influence we all think we may have, most of our influence may be contained simply to the social. Uh, media content world. I think the the broader hobby is far, far, far broader than that. And so I'm not, if people are trying to poop and scoop, I don't, I mean, I think there'd be really select instances where that could actually work very well. Um, I do think in your world of, of kind of lower numbered rare type stuff, maybe it could because there, because um, there, there is sort of may potentially a smaller buyer group there normally. 
um, just because of price and some other factors um, or, or just difficulty of running things down. But I, I think broadly, it, it it's really tough for somebody to do that. There's so much content out there to consume and there's always like the, the, the other side, right? So I, if people are doing that, I, I, I'm not aware of it. Um, listen, if I thought it would work, I would tell y'all Mookie's the worst player in the world. Um, but I know it wouldn't work. And so, you know, I just, I like to kind of stick with the facts and let people decide. Another great thing about the pumping though, is that <laughs> if somebody is buying as they're talking about something, yeah, then you know, they're, this is my, again, crossed by Adam here. Like, I don't think you can pump and dump if you're, if you're literally buying stuff as you're talking. That's probably right. I've, I've had people get get after me before, like, "Why are you Why are you pumping this so much?" I'm like, literally, I want people to know that I'm interested, and I want them to bring their cards. Yes, yes. And that's that's my purpose. And now, I do. Do I believe it's going to go up? Yes. Like, of course, I do. I believe that. So, but if I talk about the thing, and then you bring the thing to me, and you sell it to me, and then later you're like, "Oh, you were just pumping and dumping." It's like, no, 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 no. It's not. It's not like pump, then buy a whole bunch, then dump. That's the opposite. The goal of the pump and dump is to buy and then and by pumping then like increase the value but if you talk about it because you love the thing and then and then you know like then that brings cards to you and you're, yeah. you're buying and i think you could, you could usually tell because even yes. if there is a mild sort of pump and dump through it that most people would have they'll still have the stack in their collection that they could show you um similar to what i described when i sold that mookie right i'm i will eventually replace it with another one and, and, right. and then at that point, it'll be clear what I was trying to accomplish. Right? But like the poop and scoop, the sequence is is, yeah. is essential. The sequence is the thing that people need to understand. And so with the pumping up again, you're pumping in order to to increase the value of the thing you already own. With the poop and scoop, it's it's the exact opposite. You are you are just trying to like let the whole hobby fall apart on the specific thing. And then when you have the opportunity to buy it, and this is yeah, I think this I think is that's hard though, don't you? There's so many. This is the part that I wanted to say. This is the part that I wanted to say. If a, an item is about to hit auction, if it's about to become available, that is yeah. when it's risky. Because, and you're right, it has to happen on a lower number thing or something that's super rare. But if you can create fear in people's minds yeah. so that they don't bid, then you can actually like really benefit yourself. And I do think there's, I do think there's potential. There could have been, and I mean, I could think of a couple of instances of like, you know, in the PMG space where you're like, oh, is that card, was that card altered? Is it, you know, is, does Beckett have any idea what they're doing? Like, you know, if, and it, I know guys that were building sets and they, I mean, they certainly didn't enjoy the, the run up in some of those prices. So mm -hmm. uh, there, there are probably some instances, but I, again, I think they're, I think it's pretty limited. I think broadly the poop and scoop is, is, Right. difficulty working right right i agree but i think people i think people should recognize that manipulation is it's everywhere, is everywhere. People, people want you to believe something yes. and they're going to try to get it. all right one more break and we'll be back do you grade your cards grading can preserve protect and beautify your cards well maybe not all grading companies beautify the cards they grade but cgc sure does cgc slabs are so much nicer than the other big three and I send all of my PC cards to them for slabbing. Not only do they make the cards look amazing, but they are ultra durable. I used to think that a slab could only be super clear or super strong, but then CGC showed up. 
Check them out at cgccards.com today. Okay, last last segment. Dave, um, I want to start out by just sort of telling you, just mentioning a quick story from, from this week. So I had a guy post on one of my reels, and it was about a card that I was talking about. And his response to the the um, the reel that I made was, that card shouldn't be worth so much. <laughs> And he said, it shouldn't be worth so much because it's fake scarcity. It's because it's scarce because of its grade. And he sort of said all these things. And here's the, the irony here. Is that was that guy me? <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't you. The irony here is that I don't disagree with the guy. Like, I personally don't buy cards based on scarcity created by grade. I don't. But that doesn't mean that other people don't. And it doesn't mean that it's not real. And so... The question that I am left asking myself in all of this, and it obviously connects to each of the last two uh, segments that we've done here, is do I think it's it's in my right to sort of tell other people what they should like and what they should buy for the long term? Do I call myself out as an expert and say, I think you ought to do this? Should I do that? Or is the better thing to do to say to people, listen, you do your own due diligence and find what you like and buy that. What do you think our responsibility is as people who who have been in the hobby for a long time? Yeah, so I, I mean I'm definitely in the camp of people that I don't I don't I I, I and I try not to do this. I, I, I don't think you should tell someone else what to do. Um, because there are there are a number of other factors that there are just a number of factors that go into decisions that people make about the collectibles that they want to buy. Um, you know, we talked before about emotional attachment and nostalgia and some other things. Um, you don't know what everybody's financial situation is. You don't know what they're in. You don't really know what their end game is in terms of, you know, getting involved in this space. Is it, is it entertainment? Is it investment? Is it, you know, something else? I mean, you just, everybody's got to answer those things for themselves. So I, I don't like to tell people what to do. I like, but what I do think is important is I think it is important to share stories. I, I prefer to do that through sharing some of my thought processes and, you know, trying to talk about what's sort of at the core of why I, maybe buying or selling something at any given time. Um, I, I, I do think that people that have been here a while, like that guidance aspect is important because, I, and I think as we've seen, you know, listen, when everything's going well and everything's going up, you, you know, it's not, maybe not as, you don't have to be quite as thoughtful because you, 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 you have the ability to get out of bad decisions normally better than than you do um when things are not going well um when liquidity is down it's a lot harder to correct um to correct a mistake whether it was financially or just something that didn't fit into your collection and you know i i i, I like the i i like the concept of people being armed with enough information to at least have a sense of what more of a maximization of their dollar can look like within the hobby. And as long as they've kind of got that, you know, in the, at least 
available to them in the back of their minds, then they're, they're armed with enough information to make a decision that fits well within what it is they're trying to accomplish. Um, and I, you know, that I, we don't, we don't see a lot of that. I, I don't believe, I, I think more of what we've seen is, you know, the, the, the alternative investment concept. And, you know, as you described there, all these like charts and stuff that you could put, I mean, Adam, I can make any card look like it's a decent investment if I make the chart go back far enough, but <laughs> you, you know, that those are exercises in futility um, in, in my view, like it, it's just a chart and, and understanding the, the timelines and other stuff. Like there are so many ways to kind of cut that apart. And so, you know, I, I think the hobby does have an awareness issue I think it's got an education, uh, a lack of education uh, that's readily available to new entrants. And while I get that that stuff's not not necessarily sexy and it may not get clicks, I think for the long term health of the hobby, it's critical. And 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 I, I'm I actually feel more strongly about that now than I have in a long time because I'm I'm hearing other people that I actually do respect and that have been in this hobby for a long time, I hear them talking about that too. And I, the challenge has been, how do we make this stuff interesting enough and get other people to kind of buy in on helping to disseminate it and, so, that we, so that we give these new entrants um, uh, an opportunity to kind of land on their feet? Because yeah. I, I feel like otherwise they just like, they've jumped on the log ride, man. And like the <laughs> right now they're immediately going down the hill and they're just getting splashed. And it's like, well, what, what do I do now? <laughs> like I never had a, I mean, I never had a chance. And it's like, I want people to feel like they got a chance and, and, and to fit in and to, and to figure out, right. What's that, what's really the stuff that, what's the stuff that I'm really compelled by, right. What do I really enjoy about this space, not just the physical items, but also the components of the community and, and having, you know, being able to find what, what I consider just good guidance around that. So I, that's how I think about it. I have, I have a few thoughts, a few, few stories. I love, I love the points that you've made. Um, I like the, the vision of the log ride with the person who's just like <laughs> flying down the, the hill and they're just like, they don't know what's going on. Everything's small. We've seen it. They, I, I can think of so many people that I know who've like gotten into the hobby, but this, this isn't like a new phenomenon, right? No, no, not at all. But I can think of people back when I worked at the card shop back in 1999, House of Cards in Salt Lake, who I watched come in, start spending like crazy, and they pivot <laughs> that so quick. I can think of people who recently have done this. Like it's it's sort of it's something that's happened for a long time because like like you say, like not everything is you know, not everything it comes without risk. Getting out of something sometimes, being able to get close to what you paid for for more than what you paid for it isn't always easy. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about the last three years that we've learned, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said things like, well, if there's one thing that's safe, it's fill in the blank. Every time I hear that, I just like shake my head. And I, and I have the whole time. Yeah. I've been like, yeah. Here's the other thing, Dave. And this is the point where I'm like, I'm at with like, just because I don't collect PSA 10s, like PSA 10s would have been the very best thing that I could have been buying in early 2020 to like turn around and sell them for a ton of money. You just yep. don't know what the market's going to do. That's right. Know? And since you don't know, like 
you make your best guesses and you do the best that you can, but I sort of don't like telling people. I've got a few, few other stories. I'm just going to rapid fire a couple stories because I think they're, I think they're super interesting. So my, my here's one that I've, that I've told before, but I really like it's um, back in 2000 and like 2018 or I don't know, some, sometime around when the, when the Warriors were just winning championships and were so mm-hmm. high. At some point, the Steph Curry tops rookie got so popular in a PSA. Yeah. Yeah. And it just took off in a way that nothing from that, like, <laughs> made no sense, but didn't make any sense. And I remember PSA 10s at 400 bucks. And I literally, I went on blog and I was like, guys, this is insane. <laughs> money on these cards doesn't make any sense. And the irony is that today, they're still worth way more way than that. More than that. <laughs> I couldn't have been more wrong. I was totally wrong. I told everybody what they should do, and I was totally wrong. And on the same, but like by the same token, to sort of like not totally be self-defacing here, um, back in 2021, a Kobe Flare Row Zero in a PSA 10 mm-hmm. sold for it was crazy. Sold, I think it sold for like thirty four thousand dollars. And I was mm-hmm. like, I saw this. I put a story out there, and, and it was as a Kobe collector, right? I was like, guys, this doesn't make any sense at all yeah, you're like there are a thousand other kobe's that are better than this well and it's actually, still cool I, love, I, I love that card yes that flair is incredible but here's the thing between 96 and 2020 or 2021 you have 24 or 25 years and then you're going to have a number that's at like eight grand and then a number that's at like three grand yeah that makes no sense that should never happen there's no yeah. reason and it wasn't people, people might be sitting out there going, well, was it right after he passed away? It wasn't, it was just, it was in a fluke moment where like the hobby was just like freaking out about all these different things. And, yeah. and so people had this exuberance that was not founded in anything. They went out and they spent a ton. And, and I, I got, again, I got on my Instagram and I was like, I don't want to tell anyone what to buy, but this to me seems crazy. And here's yeah. why. And, and I, and the way that I identified it was, there's no reason that a 25 year old card should forex in a week or overnight. Right, I, right. I don't. I don't think this is right. Um, one, one more, one more, just real quick, just real quick story on this. Um, I, I had a another like Adam's an idiot moment. There used to be this like third year rule for me, where like if a guy was in his third year in the NBA, it was yeah. time. It was the time to get rid of his stuff because like he'd sort of already experienced. Either made it or you're or you're what you are. So Kevin Durant, I bought a ton of stuff his second year in the league. I made like stuff went up so much and I yeah. sold it all. And I felt like I was a genius. And I was basically telling everybody, like, look, <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Like stuff just kept climbing and climbing. Right. And my I think I sold the whole collection for something like thirty five hundred dollars. At one point I was like, man, this this would have been fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Yes, yes. And I was wrong. Like you, you, the point of all this, all the, all these stories, the common thread is you can tell people what you think is going to happen, but especially if you're in a place where you are talking to thousands of people or a lot of the hobby and you tell people what you think, people may react to that. And I don't know that that's good because whether intentional or not, I do think that actually, like, I think that manipulates the hobby. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not perfect at it, but you know, I try, I try really hard to think about that, you know, when I'm talking about stuff and I mean, listen, we all get animated at times, but uh, you know, especially when I'm like, 
when when I'm think, when I'm looking at a particular item, whether I'm whether I'm a buyer or seller, whether I own it or don't, you know, I, I'm I I'm trying to just give a perspective versus giving advice. And mm. you know, one of the things that I always like people will hear me will say this. I'll say this all the time. I post it a lot, right? Is be patient and be picky. I'm a hundred percent believer that like your cards will find you at the right time in the right place. And, and, and sometimes they'll put you to the test. And so, you know, in a hobby is as big and broad as this is, there's, I mean, there, there literally is always something else unless you're just really zoned in on spe- and and that is the people that are really doing that and like i know some of them that have just these you know unbelievably great collections and they they have a they they're highly curated they're well thought out but they're also they're just like sometimes really really specific um i just don't that's such that's that's such a small segment of our collectors that are out there and and you know for me what I, I I follow some of those people, even though like I don't necessarily like them or or even some of their collections. But I I recognize the I recognize the the curation aspect, which which is something that I know that I can learn something from, right? That can that helps me round out, you know, what I what I think I want to do with my collection at any given time, or or help develop a better concept of what my end goal may be. And so, I I mean, I'm with you. I think as people that have been around, I think it's just, it's some of the cautionary tales that I I believe can be more instructive and a little bit more powerful so that, you know, people will try to be a little bit more thoughtful about what they're doing. Because as I mentioned earlier, I think if you can be thoughtful, it allows you to really be able to maximize not only how far your dollar goes, but it allows you to really maximize your experience. And, and to me, that that's really what I'd like to see hobby content trying to focus more around. And, and I do think that fanatics and some of the other people that are out there are trying to they're trying to help do that in their in in ways that they can. You know, you think about like athlete events and stuff like that. I mean, I like listen. I saw Jason Tatum like hanging out in a shop up in up in Boston or whatever. Like if if Mookie was hanging out at the shop down the street, I would be as big a dork as anybody in town. Or like if he was going to be somewhere even in L.A., brother, I might actually like buy, if I knew I had far enough ahead of time, I might buy a plane ticket to go do it. Or if even or like bowling alley, right? Mookie bowl. Um, on whatever night, like I, that sort of stuff helps to maximize, right. My experience in the hobby. And so I think content, you know, uh, card creators, fanatics with events, et cetera. Like I, I, that's what I like to see when people are really trying to elevate and maximize people's experience, not by telling them what to do, but really helping them be more aware. I think, giving people those experiences fanatics the ones that you're mentioning right now that's a way to get people to sort of like understand how cool cards can be because the cards are now being attached to the experience yeah yeah 
And, uh, and you know, like, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not just everybody. I think everybody re- recognizes like fanatics has the ability to do some of these things in the space that are, that are super interesting. I love the idea of bringing fans closer to the game, but it's, it's part of it, right? It's not like right. the cards at the end of the day, like it's cool that it's like a ticket, but the card actually like it after the, after the event is over, loses its value in that way. And for me, what needs to matter the most in the end is the card. Um, and, and I've said it for, said this for years, like you, you have to have in the end for a card to be worth something, you have to have people who want to own it yeah. not because it's a stock, but because, because it's more like, because it's art. Right. And so yeah. we, years ago, we sort of went down this path of our cards more like stocks or are they more like art? And I think what we've learned over and over and over again is they're not exactly like either thing at That's all, right. but they have a lot of common traits. And so, um, you know, to anybody out there who's like looking to make decisions just for financial benefit, typically I think those people aren't going to, those are the stock people. Yeah. Um, that's not going to work out for a lot of those people. It might have for a period and there will probably be periods where it will again. But, um, but I think that, you know, when you think about everything that we've talked about today, right? We've talked about fear. We've talked about manipulation, right? We've talked about like 20 different things under the sun for, you know, under both of those sort of categories. And the last thing we've talked about is like how we as, influ- as influential people who, who do content and things like how we should, should strive to talk about those things. For me, I think about it the same way as I would think about like talking to somebody about what they like in the art world and stocks and knowing that both of those together aren't going to be totally perfect. But I'm going to say to those people, I'm going to say, buy what you like. I'm going to, I'm going to say, think with both your head and your heart. I'm going to say, yeah. do a whole bunch of research. And then if you want to know about a specific card, I'll tell you all about it. But like do your research and don't just buy something because somebody says it's going to increase in value because like in the world of stocks, usually when somebody's doing that, they're probably going to be wrong. They're probably going to be wrong. They're probably going to be wrong. And they're usually motivated by some external factor. Even if you think your influencer buddy is like the best dude in the world. And yeah. Just like you said on your post the other day, David, I loved it. Like only a really smart financial person can, can do that and or can tell you, can tell you some of these things and you shouldn't listen to me because I don't, I don't, right. know, I don't know what's going to go up and what's going to go down. I barely feel comfortable doing that on on behalf of myself. I certainly don't want to tell anybody for someone else. That's right. So no, I like I like to I like to plant the seed, uh, you know. And I think you described it well. I like the best I can talk about facts, um, and and when their opinions, try to be clear about it and make sure that you're able to in whatever enthusiasm you may have positively or negatively for something, be able to explain and why you feel that way and just give that perspective. And, you know, reasonable people can take that in and learn something from it or discard it and move on without it, you know, turning into a a online story post war. Um, Some people can't do that and, and I'll be the first to admit I'm happy to participate in those story wars as well with anyone who'd like to say something dumb. Um, but, you know, look, at the end of the day, we everybody is has the, the people that are in it, really in it for the long run have a passion for the collectibles. And we all we certainly all do share that passion. And so, you know, to the extent that you can kind of channel that into good discussions that I think can help 
people be smarter and be more aware, then you're you're ultimately accomplishing a mission that is good for everybody in the hobby for the long term. And that's what we want, Adam, right? We want people to be here. We want them to experience it. And we want them to find the things that resonate with them and find that hobby community segment that that they can that they feel good about and comfortable in and love hanging out in, right? It is it 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 is and could and can be and should be an escape from other stuff at times. Um and and it and it can also be you know financially rewarding and and, and or you know scratch the speculative itch if that's what it is. There's room for all of that. It's just trying to get it in maybe in a better balance than some of what we see, um, at, at least in the online stuff. Really well said. Um, grateful to have you on today. Took yeah, thanks for having me. Not twice as much time as we were planning, but we had a feeling that might happen. It's you and me. We, we, we always, <laughs> once we get once we get started, it's hard it's hard to stop. Anything you want to plug before we go? Uh. Just that, you know, you can, again, you can find me on Instagram at Sign and Slabbed. My eBay store is Sign and Slabbed. Um, I, I am going to try and be out a little bit more. So I was just at the Dallas Card Show. My January is booked. I'm going to be at the Fitterman uh, Autograph Show of Texas the first week in January. The uh, third week in January, I'll plan to be back in Dallas followed the next weekend, last weekend in January, Culture Collision in Atlanta. Ephus Pitch will be alongside me then, so that's, uh, that could be a lot of fun. And then first week in September, uh, the TriStar show here in Houston. So, Adam, this will be the first time ever that I've been to three shows back to back to back. So the Sign and Slab 2024 card show tour is getting off to a bang uh to start the year so nope, i hope everybody's me. ready because i'm especially in atlanta me and bill are bringing we're going to be on fire blazing there ready to rock so don't let bill blow out his knee at the basketball game okay <laughs> bill's a baseball player so if anything we'll we'll we might what we might do is grab some popcorn and go over there and just boo people <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, for Adam, for David, Simon, Simon Slab. Um, until next time, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.